Amen. Well, guys, I hope you have a Bible. If you do, would you open it up to the book of Luke? Gospel of Luke, chapter 21 is where we are. Wednesday nights, we work through the Bible about a chapter at a time, sometimes half a chapter. This time, it's a half a chapter as we join where we left off last week. And so, hoping you're going to be there with us. Again, I hope you got a Bible and open up. There's Bibles around you, page number on the screen if you need it. Hey, you can use an electronic device. I mean, whatever works so that you're tracking with us, that's what we really, really want. So that's true for us here, but that's true for you guys on the overflow. That's true for you who are online. We so want you to be engaged. We so want you to see and hear God this evening. And so we're asking that he would work in you. We're asking that he would be the one that would draw you to what he has. And so, so long in this evening that you would be opened up to that and just longing that he would work. So with that as a name, let's take one more moment and pray. Let's ask that God would join you and I this evening and that he would open up our hearts to what he would have for us and cause us to hear him. Would you join me in that prayer? Father, here we are before you, your word before us. That has power. That has potential of doing good in us right now uh, because your word is powerful. The thing that would negate that would be us. uh, Not hearing, not listening, our heart being hard, our ears being closed. God, so many things that could affect that right now. Would you work in us and help us to hear your voice? Speak to us tonight by the power of your spirit in a way that we see and understand what you have for us. God, we ask for that right now as we trust you and thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. As we join Luke 21 in many ways, the concept that's before us is living in light of the last days or living in light of the end. I think about it in some ways, it's really where we've been. I mean, that's where we were last Wednesday night. It's kind of what we talked about on Sunday. We're in a space where in one sense, God is reminding us of what's coming and, and really calling us to be able to live in light of that. Now, we joined Luke chapter 21 this evening, right in the middle of it. And for a number of reasons, it was just a good kind of progression for us. At the same moment, it could almost leave us without really kind of following the context, without me just quickly reminding you of what we'd seen. In the first part of this chapter, the disciples had asked Jesus the question. Uh, They'd looked over the city of Jerusalem and been amazed by it, and Jesus had told them that he had a whole different perspective, an eternal perspective over those things, and so they asked him, so when is this going to be? When is the end? What are the signs? What's that going to look like? And Jesus had begun to answer them, and what we know often is the Olivet Discourse, uh, included here in Luke, but Matthew and Mark both give us more details on it, but Jesus had begun to tell them of things that were going to happen that were going to be very difficult, but they weren't yet the end times. Things like wars and calamities and deceptions, and he said all these things are going to happen, but they're not the end, but they are going to be leading up to that moment. And in the midst of that, he had encouraged us and had promised us of his help and his ability to help us endure, uh, to make it through that. And it's a great place to kind of just understand that's where he is. And he called us at the end there in verse 19 by just simply saying, by your patience, possess your souls. Called us to really be able to trust him and be patient, to be waiting for those moments. And so with that kind of given to us, given us this idea of some signs that were pointing to the end and this encouragement of his help that would carry us there, he's going to give us a couple other things that are going to help us live in the light of that, to live in light of of what that looks like. And it begins with us 
understanding and seeing Jerusalem. Yeah, why don't you notice it with me? Verse 20 says, but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation is near. Okay, before we go through that, it's probably wise just for us to quickly kind of attack this and say, okay, so what are we talking about here? Well, actually, this is one of those prophecies that really have a dual fulfillment. I'm not going to go into that in great detail because we've dealt with that on Sunday mornings in, in Daniel, but sometimes God gives a prophecy that has both a near and a far fulfillment. This one does. Uh, he's going to speak of it, and some of what he's going to talk about is going to happen very soon, that Jerusalem was about to be destroyed, that Rome was about to destroy in 70 AD, wiping out Israel, wiping out everything that's there, and it's kind of an interesting thing. We know that Jesus is giving this message just days before he's going to go to the cross. But it's interesting the way it's recorded. If you wanted to kind of be specific about it, the way that Luke records it, the way that he kind of gives us a lens of that, it really focuses greatly on Jerusalem and what's about to happen in the next 40 years. But when Matthew and Mark give us the same accounting, we definitely get an account that, they know this is something that's going to happen again. And so without spending a bunch of time on that, I'm just going to tell you it is. That in one sense, Jesus is speaking here of something that was about to happen, that Jerusalem was about to be judged, Israel was about to be judged, because of their rejection of him. And so he gives it to us this way. Read it with me and kind of just think through what he's telling us is about to happen. I'll just go back and start again in verse 20. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let those who are in the midst of her depart, and let not those who are in the country enter her, for these are the days of vengeance, for all the things that were written may be fulfilled. But woe to those who are pregnant, and those who are nursing babies in those days, for there will be great distress in the land, and wrath upon this people." And they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So Jesus warns him. He says, you're going to see it. Jerusalem is going to be surrounded by armies. And when that happens, know they're going to go down. I mean, this is God's destruction that's going to happen there. And it happened exactly that in 70 A.D., Titus Vespasian kind of just comes and leads the Roman armies and surrounds Jerusalem, camps around it, and literally destroys it. Interestingly, just honestly, hey, there was a whole group of believers that took these words seriously and did exactly this. Large numbers who recognize this is not going to go well. I mean, we, Jesus told us exactly what's going to happen, and they left in large numbers. So that really, as some of you know, historians look at it, there were very few, if almost no, uh, Christians left because they recognized Jesus literally was warning them. But for the Jews, it would go incredibly badly. 1.1 million Jews were slaughtered in that moment as he just completely brings destruction upon Jerusalem. They literally drive out every single Jew there. They take them captive by the hundreds of thousands, those who aren't killed, and take them into every other place so that literally they're entirely driven out of Jerusalem. Literally, not a single Jew 
remains. In fact, it becomes illegal to be a Jew in Jerusalem. They renamed the city. Uh, the, they come in there, and the, the Caesar at that time renames Jerusalem uh, Aeliana Capitolina and just says, hey, Jerusalem is no longer Jewish. There's nothing Jewish about it ever again, and it became a death penalty to even come into the land. It was an incredibly sad moment. A moment where, again, when Jesus says it this way in verse 22, these are the days of vengeance. <laughs> these are the days that, that all of that's going to happen. He says in verse 24, they will fall by the edge of the sword. They're going to be led away captive into all nations. And it really happened that way. Judgment that was coming, and literally Israel was conquered, and they had no land that was their own until, you know, they're back in the land in our days, that, that the Israel back in 1947 came back into the land and kind of reestablished themselves as a nation, incredible ways that some stuff is happening, but more on that in a moment. So again, this happened. It did happen. Jerusalem was destroyed. But the Bible lets us know that when we think about this, it's going to happen again. That, that when we look forward to what's coming, that one more time it's going to happen. This time it's going to be the Antichrist that brings the world against Jerusalem. They're going to happen during the tribulation where one more time we actually have it detailed in Ezekiel, the number of nations that are going to come against them and how that's going to happen. And, and Jerusalem one more time is going to be surrounded and in many ways be driven out. And so it's the same thing again, that he's telling those in that day that's coming Jews and those who would be there then, hey, when that happens, you should leave. <laughs> when that happens, because it's not going to go well for you. It's worth just understanding that we're, that's something that's yet future. Now, don't get worried. We're not going to be there. I think the rapture is going to happen before that for us. Nevertheless, it's worth just understanding that in one sense, when we think about that, that it's something that we keep our eyes on. I mean, it's been said in many ways that you should, you should always keep your eyes on Jerusalem. It's almost one of God's timepieces throughout time. And we know exactly what the Bible says is going to happen. We know that in those days, we get it in the, in the book of Zechariah where it tells us, Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of drunkenness to all the surrounding peoples. And when they laid siege against Judah and Jerusalem. And this is a prophecy that is yet future. He says, here's what's going to happen. He says, I'm going to make just Jerusalem this place that everybody's going to come against it. They're going to seek to war against it. He says, in that day, I will make Jerusalem a very heavy stone for all peoples. And all who would heave it away will surely be cut in pieces, though all the nations of the earth are gathered against it. He says it's going to be this multinational kind of just conflagration of nations that are come against Jerusalem, and yet it's not going to go well. I mean, God's going to kind of show up in the midst of that after the battle kind of takes place, but it lets us know that that's going to happen. Now, why do I tell you this? Well, again, in one sense, it's worth just making sure that you and I understand, hey, this should be no surprise. This should be no surprise to us that in one sense, Jerusalem and the state of Jerusalem is going to be what he says. It's going to be a heavy stone for all peoples. It's going to be that way to the end. And I don't know if you see it that way, and I don't know how much you have kind of an understanding of this, but I'm just telling you, it shouldn't be surprising that Jerusalem is always in the news. That there's like never a week that goes by that they're not, well, is this happening in Jerusalem? And, you know, trying to figure it out. And just understand that's probably, it's still where it's going to go. I mean, when we think about what's happening in our nation, we think about what's happening in the world, it should just not be surprising that in many ways, Jerusalem itself is a cup of trembling. 
It's, it's one that's going to be this burdensome stone for all nations. And so when Jesus is giving us this layout, he's telling us, hey, that's going to happen. And then he just simply just sums it up and says, that's going to happen. Jerusalem, in verse 24, will be trampled by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. In many ways, that's a, that's a foreshadowing of the rapture. It tells us there in the book of Romans that blindness in part has happened to Israel until that day that the final Gentile is saved, and then he's going to work again in them. And so there is this Jerusalem being trampled. Now, again, that kind of finds itself, without spending a bunch of time on it, kind of as a, as a well, what's happening right now? I mean, Israel's back in the land, right? I mean, they, it's a nation again, and we recognize, not, not a believing nation, but they're there. But nevertheless, really probably prophetically, even though Israel's back in the land, the Temple Mount, that which is the center of that, the world in many ways, is not Israel, under Israeli control. It's still given to the nations, and it's still under, under kind of Muslim control, and it would seem to be that in many ways that's probably going to keep happening until the Antichrist shows up on the scene and solves the issue. All that simply saying, hey, it's just interesting to kind of watch that and say, okay, we get to see that this is going to happen, that these are the things that are coming. So we, as we're thinking about the end, in one sense, it's not surprising to kind of recognize the place that Jerusalem has in that, the place that it would be in that. And so Jesus speaks about that and warns of what did happen and will happen. From that, he gives this. He says in verse 25, and there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars, and on the earth great distress of nations with perplexity, and the seas and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear of the expectation of those things which will be coming on the earth, for the powers of heaven will be shaken. In the midst of this, Jesus is going to call those who see that at that moment to look up, but that's worthy of us just making sure we stop and think about it. So we're getting here. He tells us there's going to be these signs. There's going to be these massive cosmic disturbances. And without spending, again, a ton of time, we're in the middle of the tribulation. I mean, that's really what this begins to picture, that when what we know is the tribulation is going to come upon the earth, when the book of Revelation gives it out to us, it lets us know that it's going to come upon the earth with some very cosmic disturbances. I mean, meteorites, you know, whatever you want to think that, you know, just in, in the midst of this is going to come there, comets, calamities that would be a part of this, that's really detailed out for us in Revelation chapter 8. Hey, it's been a while since since we did the book of Revelation, but if you're really, really curious, you can go back and find it on our website. But we talked about it then, is in Revelation, it spells out, you know, the first four of seven trumpets, and he talks about how that these comets, these flaming things are going to fall on the earth, and one-third of the vegetation of the earth is going to be destroyed, one-third of the sea is going to be poisoned, one-third of the waters are going to become bitter, and, and the heavens are going to be struck, and, and really a third of mankind is going to be devastated by these incredible calamities. Nothing like that's ever happened. I mean, we're looking at a place that that's not been a part of our world, hasn't happened, but he's letting us know, hey, that's going to happen. We're not here. Again, we just did it. We're out. I mean, the time of the Gentiles is, is fulfilled. That's when the rapture happens. But now Jesus is detailing out what's going to take place during this last days, these, these incredible moments. So now that you kind of know where we are, let's read it again. It says, there will be, then there will be signs, verse 25, in the sun and the moon and in the stars and in the earth distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them from fear and expectation of those things uh, which will be coming on the earth. 
for the powers of the heaven will be shaken. He says, when men watch this, they're going to see this. The whole world's going to be just, you know, moved in this moment, crushed by the weight of everything that begins to just transpire in, in, the, in the tribulation that comes upon the world. And then he just tells us, verse 27, then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. That when Jesus is coming back at the end of that, he's going to come back and come back riding in on the white horse that's pictured for us in Revelation 19, coming in to bring in rescue and to bring in redemption. Incredible things are going to begin to happen. And so he speaks to that and just says, when you, if you're there, he says, now when they see these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. It's an interesting thing. Jesus is giving a very specific um, admonition to those who are there on that day. It's not going to be us. The church has been taken out in the rapture. Nevertheless, there are going to be people that become believers in the midst of the tribulation. Uh, We get to read it in the book of Revelation that people will be giving their lives for it, that anybody seeks to believe in Jesus, the cost that's going to be incredibly heavy in those moments, but there still are going to be what is known as tribulation saints, those who get saved in that moment. And to those, Jesus says, when you see all these things happen, keep your eyes open. It's, it's not going to last very long. I mean, look up because it, it, you know, it's only seven years. It's only, it's only going to be a short mile, and Jesus is about to return at the end of that to, to bring the world into righteousness. And so he's giving a very specific you know, word that's going to be very encouraging for those there, and yet it's helpful for us as well. It's helpful for us to see this as what's coming and both to feel both the help and hope in that, even as we kind of recognize it's very much a part of that, this idea of expecting Jesus to come back. So now that he's given us this, he's given us this idea of Jerusalem. He's talked about the tribulation. He's kind of dived down into kind of the timeline of where it's going. Now he kind of backs up and, and talks about just the way we see all of it. That as we're gazing on all of these things, as we're thinking through a little bit of what we're talking about, he just calls us to be watching. Catch it in verse 29. He said, then he spoke to him a parable saying, look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they are already budding, then see and know for yourselves that summer is near, now near. So you also, when you see these things happening, know that the kingdom of God is near. Surely I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. So he gives us some powerful encouragement, this place where he says we ought to be those who are aware, that we ought to be those who said, you know, you're kind of like you're watching the trees. It's a pretty easy kind of illustration. He said you look at the trees, but not the fig tree, but even all the trees. So in one sense, speaking of the fig tree, that at times can be a prophetic picture of Israel, but he's talking about more than that, all the trees. And he just gives a pretty simple illustration. Verse 30 says, when they are already budding, you see and know for yourselves that summer is now near. This is exactly where we are, right, guys? I mean, you guys probably saw it maybe even on your drive-in today or maybe this week. You look out at some of the trees and you're looking, it's like, man, they're starting to bud. You know, you're starting to see, you know, green kind of showing up in, in the trees and you know where we are. We, we know we're in the season that spring is here, summer is about to be upon us, it's about to be 100 degrees. Hey, but that's just another part of the deal, but happens way too quickly. But I mean, in one sense, there is a sense we know where we are. We can look at it and say, I, I can recognize the season. I, I know where this is. I don't need a calendar. I, I don't need a phone uh, to tell me where it is. Actually, creation itself is speaking to me of where I am, and he's calling us 
to have that kind of expectation, to kind of be that place where we do this. Now, here's what I recognize. I'm actually talking to people that are on different sides of this right now. So let me try to quickly speak to at least a couple of the sides. Hey, some of you, you don't need much. I mean, just me saying this, you're like, yes, you know, I'm so excited. You know, like I'm watching and, and for me to speak to you and say, hey, when you see our world and you see things happening and you see things that seem to be kind of, you know, rapidly moving towards the end times, then you ought to be one that's like, okay, it seems like we're getting closer and closer. I mean, I did, I'm watching what's happening and it's kind of filling me with expectation and anticipation of Jesus coming back. And if that's you, then hear it this evening when Jesus just is telling you, hey, I want you to be that way. I want you to watch. I want you to be alert. I want you to be paying attention to what's happening so you can almost feel the world around you moving forward and you could go, I see where we're going. I know what's coming and I'm excited about it. So if that's where you are, I just want to speak it to you and say, hey, hear Jesus encourage you this evening. But I know I'm talking to somebody else that quite honestly you're like, oh, you know, this whole like end time stuff, I never really understand it and doesn't, you know, I don't know. Can we just go on to something practical, you know, and talk about, you know, like how I handle my marriage or, or what I do with life. I mean, this whole kind of living in light of the end times doesn't always just kind of land with me, but hear me as clear as I can. This is Jesus talking. This isn't Pastor Jim. This isn't, you know, my personal opinion on the world. Jesus says, hey, I want you to look at the trees, and I want you to be those who recognize these things. This isn't meant to be just, you know, people who are specifically wired that way, that they love prophecy. It's meant to be something that in you that you're like, okay, (laughs) I want to be paying attention I I want to make sure that I'm expecting that the world is moving forward and that Jesus is coming back and and that reality that's going to happen. So he calls us to that. He says he calls us to all that. And so he says, so also when you see these things, verse 31, then you should know. I mean, what it should just speak to you is like, okay, it's near. (laughs) It's near. And in the most simple childlike way, can I tell you, it's never been nearer. It's never been near. We have never, nobody's ever been closer to the coming of Jesus returning than we are. And it feels near. Now that nearness might be hours. It might be days. It might be weeks. It might be years. You know, it could be decades. And I would, be, I would trust God in that. But the nearness still feels that way. And it's meant to be this. He says there's something that's just about you that should kind of work that just that you know it that you know the nearness is going to happen, you know it's coming. Now, to that, he just speaks a number of things that just give us absolutely solid hope. Technical things, but I'm just going to touch them briefly. Verse 32, he says, Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. So, Bible question. What in the world did Jesus just say? Did he just give us a timeline? Did he just tell us, hey, if these things begin to happen, it's supposed to happen within a generation? Hey, be careful with that. Some of you will know you've been around. Some of you were back in the days of like 1988. It was a really big deal in 1988 because, you know, Israel was declared a nation in 1948. 
And so in 1988, they said, you know, a biblical generation is 40 years, and so Jesus has to come back before 1988. And there's, so there was these books that came out, 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1988. And I just want to tell you, somehow that just should just automatically just, just recognize that's not going to be true. Jesus isn't going to give us some, I mean, if, if the Bible's true and he's telling us nobody knows the day or the hour, that can't be what this is saying. He can't be giving us a clue that we could kind of get around this understanding of having no idea how much longer we have, but living in expectation of it. So then what does it mean? Well, it might mean a couple of things, and good Bible students actually wrestle over it. It could just be this affirmation that when the tribulation happens, when all this happens, it's going to happen very quickly. We know it in seven years that this isn't going to be decades long. It could just be an encouragement that, that when this happens, it's not going to be 100 years of, of, of great tribulation. It's going to be very short. That's one possibility. The other possibility is a little bit more technical, but I quickly toss it out at you because if you've been with us in, Re in Daniel, you might remember that we've talked about this prophetic pause that we're in, that God had given this promise to Israel, and then right in the middle of that promise, we have this unseen, unknown reality that is the church of Jesus Christ that has now existed for about the last 2,000 years. This term that's used for generation could be speaking of that and if it is, it's just telling us in a very childlike, simple way, hey, there's no other hidden timelines. I mean, like, there's nothing else. I mean, yes, the church, this generation, this, this, this people of who we are, this is, this, there's not another one coming. There's not anything else hidden. And it could just be an encouragement that it's going to happen. Hey, some Bible students feel that, and it kind of feels that way. Either way, it's an encouragement of the nearness and shortness of time, or even just the solidness that all of this is going to happen. Jesus adds to it this, verse 33, heaven and earth will pass away but my words will by no means pass away. So track with this as clear as I can. If you have no idea what I was just talking about with the prophetic pause and all that, and you're like, hey, that's going over here, then just hear this. Jesus says, I'm telling you, it's gonna happen. This is more trustworthy than anything else you could believe. The, the heaven itself, that, there's a, that the, you know, the sun comes up tomorrow, that the moving of the skies, that's all gonna end, but this doesn't. This is more solid than anything else you know. There's not anything more solid than the promises of Jesus right now. Nothing is more sure that that's going to happen. I mean, I just want you to kind of feel that. See, I, I think about it this way, trying to say it again. For some of us, we really do get it. The world itself or the way things move, they feel solid. So if I asked you, hey, do you think the sun's going to come up tomorrow? I mean, are you, are you counting on the sun coming up tomorrow? And most of you would be like, well, yeah, you know, it's like sun comes up every day, comes up right on schedule, you know, there really is no doubt about the way this is going. But it's going to stop one of these days. But Jesus' words are, Jesus' promise of all of this happening is more solid than anything else that you know. And he's just affirming that, and that's powerful. Because sometimes people look at this hope that we have of Jesus coming back and they, well, you know, that's a nice fairy tale. <laughs> you know, you gotta have, a, gotta have some kind of just, you know, you know, kind of positive, you know, kind of vibe, even if it's not real. No, this is real. It is more real than anything else you've ever known. It is more real than anything else you've ever seen. That Jesus promises he's coming back, promises us he's establishing it, promises us he's working at it, and that should just speak life to us. So we're called to live in light of that. We're called to have this place where we're watching because we know it's going to happen. 
but it's meant to have a very practical effect into our life as well, that if we actually believe this, we live ready for it, that there is a, a way that it moves us. And so he gives it to us this way in verse 34. But take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the cares of this life, and that day come upon you unexpectedly. For it will come as a snare on those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. He warns us, and he gives it to us in a very powerful way. He says, just, I want you to pay attention to yourself. I mean, we were in a moment just saying, hey, pay attention to the world, pay attention to what's happening. Now he's saying, take heed to yourself. Make sure your heart isn't being weighed down. Make sure something's happening that's not pulling you out of this expectation and reality. And he gives us a couple of ways that it could happen. He says, take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing and drunkenness. He warns us away from a sinful lifestyle that would really deaden you to an expectation of Jesus coming back. Now, I just want to tell you, not everybody is feeling the, the pull of this, but some of you are. And so I just want to speak it as clear as I can. So I want to speak it clearly here. I want to speak it into the overflow. I want to speak it online. If this is you right now, that you're kind of handling life through intoxication, you know, that your way of handling you know, just the, the hard space of life is a drink or drugs. If you're kind of thinking, hey, this is how I handle, you know, 2020 and 2021, Jesus lets us know that's a bad way of doing it. Not only is it, is it, is it sinful, not only is it destructive, but one of the things it does is it deadens you. It, it, it weighs your hearts down and pulls you away from, from just living in light of Jesus and living a life that's, that's walking well and walking in his ways. And, and I just want to call you to it right now. Again, not everybody needs to hear this as loud as some of you do. And, and I'm not speaking with any kind of judgment. I'm just speaking it of rescue. If that's how you're handling life, that's not the way God wants you to handle it. He says, don't let your heart, you, you're, you're weighing your heart down. You're pull, through, through drunkenness, through a carousing lifestyle, through this kind of just place that it, it does something that, that is both destructive and deadening and weighing down, and there's such a better way. And there's such a better way to live. And, and right now, he's calling us to live in light of Jesus coming back, and this is not that. I mean, in the most simple of ways. So what if Jesus does come back this week? What if this is the week? I hope it is. Don't let him find you that way. Don't let him find you inebriated. Don't let him find you taking a drug to kind of carry you through the moment. I mean, I, I'm hoping you can kind of hear that's what Jesus is saying. If you believe he's coming back, then it would speak to you in a very powerful way, calling you away from that kind of life where you would be looking to this to carry you through. And so he says, don't do that. Don't let your heart be weighed down with carousing or drunkenness. But there's other warnings. It's not just carousing or drunkenness. He also just says that the cares of life could just weigh in upon you. That one of the things that could weigh down your heart is you just get so focused on living life that you're not living in expectation of Jesus coming back. I'm talking to somebody else right now, and it really is equally a danger that sometimes just the weight of the world, maybe it's your world, maybe it's your, it's your job, maybe it's your kids, 
Maybe it's just kind of making it through, and, and it can become all-consuming, where it just weighs down every waking thought of your life. But one of the problems is if you lose sight of it and you realize, hey, this isn't life. This is temporary. Jesus is coming back. And if I'm living in light of that, it's going to change even how I navigate my days. Oh, it doesn't make it wrong for me to get, you know, have a good job or care for my kids, but this expectation of Jesus coming back, it transforms the way that I live so that I don't just live for this world. Simply put, Jesus is warning us in both of these two exhortations, hey, don't waste your life. Don't waste your life so that when Jesus comes back, it's kind of like, well, that's, you know, you've been living for either drunkenness or you've been living for the world, and now it's over. All that's over, and you've wasted days, years, decades, not living for things that really, really matter, that don't really, you know, that aren't eternal. But if you believe in Jesus coming back, one of the things that it really does for you is like, okay, you know, I'm not going to put all my eggs into this basket. I'm not going to invest everything into this world because this is not my hope. My real hope is beyond this world. Yes, I need to take care of my family. Yes, I need to have a good job and take care of those things. But you know what? I also see it in light of everything else we're talking about and everything that is coming. And you don't want to be one that Jesus simply says it there, that that day is going to come upon you unexpectedly. It's going to surprise all of us. Can we just be clear about that? I, I mean, I, live in, I, I talk to Jesus about him coming back every single day. I mean, honestly, I use the Lord's Prayer, so it's a constant part of my conversation with him. But sometimes I'm just honest, like, it's still going to shock me. Like, when the trumpet sounds, I'm still going to be, like, it's going to weird me out. I mean, I just know that. But I also expect it. I, I, I have an expectation that someday that's really going to happen. And he's warning you away from having a, a lack of expectation because this is going to rock the world. I mean, the whole world's going to be impacted by this. I love the way Jesus just describes it in verse 35. For it, that coming of Christ, the, the, the day of the Lord, it's going to come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Like it's going to rock the world. But don't let it be you. I mean, don't let that be the way that you live. Don't let that be how you are. So how do you do that? Well, that's what he tells us. Verse 36, watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. He says the way that you don't live this life that is weighed down by this world or weighed down by sin is you are watching. You are watching. We already talked about that, the whole fig tree, like pay attention and let it kind of stir up excitement. Watch for it and let you be excited for Jesus to come back. Be looking. I mean, just be looking. I mean, just do it every now and then. I mean, if not daily, just every now and then, just, just Lord, today's good. I'd love it if it was today. Go outside and just look up and just kind of watch a cloud and think, come from that one. You know, just right there. I mean, like, that would be amazing. I mean, and just with an expectation, just say, God, I'm looking for you. I'm, I'm watching. I'm, I have a, a, an expectation that's going to happen. Watch and pray. It is through prayer that, you know, you really do battle against this, where you're recognizing, hey, this is coming. And so if you believe that Jesus is coming back, 
then you're going to pray. You're going you're to pray how? Well, he tells us that we're going to pray that we're going to count it worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass. We're going we're gonna to say, God, I, I don't, want, I don't, want, I don't want to be caught in any of that stuff. I, I don't want any of that stuff to, to kind of catch me. Instead, I want to be found standing before you. This is not meant to be, you know, this dreadful fear that if you are having a bad day and Jesus comes back, he's going to leave you behind. That's not true. And the Bible's really clear, you know, he's coming back for all of us. And if you need encouragement, all you have to do is like look at, you know, Lot. He's a good example. And if God can rescue Lot out of Sodom, and he can rescue you. But you just don't want to be found that way. You just don't want to be found that way. And so there is this sense that you just should be thinking, you know what, when that day happens, I don't want it to be an embarrassing day. I don't want it to be that day that Jesus comes back and the very first thing I have to say is, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I wasted my whole life. I've been wasting this last year. I've been wasting, it's like, that's not what I want to say. I want to say, God, I've been waiting for you. I mean, yeah, there's still going to be the, 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 the holiness and all that goes on with that, but there ought to be a sense that you're praying and saying, God, I want to stand in that day. I, I want in that day to be in that place of being received. Some of you have been reading with us through the book of Acts, and you get that account with Stephen when he's facing his final moments and it tells us he just looks and he gets a glimpse and, he's, and he sees Jesus standing there welcoming him. And I want to just tell you that's what you want. You, you want if, if you're believing this, then it becomes this play of saying, God, I, I just want to be ready. I want to live in light of that day. I, want to, I, want to, I, want to, I don't want to be caught in this world. I want to be rescued from that and then expectation of Jesus coming back actually becomes very practical. That's worth me just talking about for a quick moment. See, some, for some people it's not. And, and I just want to tell you, there are some people that have an interest in the coming of, uh, of Christ or uh, kind of the whole end times prophecies thing. But sometimes you look at them and think, well, I don't know what it's doing in you. I, just, I mean, is this all for argument's sake? Is this just so people can tell us that they believe what they believe? But it tells us in 1 John that you know, he says, behold, you know, beloved, we, we're, we're now the children of God. You know, this is who we are right now. And we can't even imagine what it's going to be like in that day when we see him. We're going to be like him. And then it just tells us that everyone who has this expectation in himself purifies himself, even as Jesus is pure. In other words, if you really believe that Jesus is coming back, it'll change the way you live. And to put it in kind of reverse, if it's not changing the way you live, you really don't believe it. You know, if, it's, if it doesn't change you, just like, okay, like, Jesus is coming back. I don't want to waste my life. I don't want to, you know, have him just kind of, I mean, that's just not, I mean, if you really get it, it's gonna, it's gonna, it becomes kind of practically motivating. Like, why would I waste my life doing that when Jesus is coming back? Why would I want to be found? I would not want Jesus to come back and, and, and find me, you know, carousing or drunk or just, you know, totally wasting my life, you know, in worldly pursuits and totally not paying attention to the end times and, and what it is. If you're honestly praying, it will be in a practical effect on your life. And so Jesus is just simply calling us to it. He's telling us that we ought to be those who have this expectation of his return that practically works into our lives. So I'm just calling you to that. I mean, I think about everything that Jesus is telling us. He, he's giving us this and this picture and this power of what that would look like. It's worth just noticing what he does at this moment. And in some ways, it sets us up for our, our, the next chapter, but worth seeing. Verse 37, 
And in the daytime, he was teaching in the temple. But at night, he went out and stayed in the mountain called Olivet. Then early in the morning, all the people came to him in the temple to hear him. And this is a powerful picture that, again, is kind of going to play into where we're going to be next week and kind of heading into this moment. But at the same moment, it's kind of put into this chapter, and I can't help but feel that somehow we just get to see what this is what he's doing. He, he's, he, he's teaching, he goes back to town, wakes up the next morning, and, and continues just sharing with all he can share with. I mean, he's showing us him living the way that he's calling us to live. Yeah, he still has to go to the out, stays in the mountain, call all of that. He gets to go to sleep, has to go to bed, but he's redeeming those moments while they're there. And that's something that's powerful. So I, I lay it before you in a way that tonight we think about all of this, and we're talking about living in light of the end, and we see what's coming. We know what's going to happen to Jerusalem. We see this great tribulation, this perplexity that's going to just crash in upon the world. But we see it and we, and we allow that to move us. It should. We're like, okay, I see it coming. We're not there yet. We're not in the summertime yet, but I see the buds beginning to kind of show up on the trees and it know, I just know that we're getting closer than we've ever been before. And if that works in me, then I, I want it to practically work into me and even helpfully work into me. There's so many great quotes of those that I, who, who talk about it, but a couple of my favorite that I think about sometimes, one of them is G. Campbell Morgan. And, and he was a, a preacher back in the early uh, part of, the, of this century or the 1900s, and he simply said it this way. He says, to me, the second coming is the perpetual light on the path which makes the present bearable. It's one of my favorite parts of the quote, that, that quote. He says, to me, that Jesus is coming back. It's a perpetual light on the path that makes the present bearable. I never lay my head on the pillow without thinking that perhaps before the morning breaks, the final morning may have dawned. And I'm just giving this to you again because this is one of the things that's there. One of the things that would help us make the present bearable is to recognize this is not the way it's always going to be. Jesus is coming back and it feels closer than we've ever been before. J.C. Ryle said it this way, I can only say that I am more and more convinced that as I grow older, that to keep our eyes steadily fixed on the second coming of Christ is the one great secret of Christian peace. In other words, to believe this, I mean, to really believe what we're talking about tonight, not as just some technical argument, not just so we can like, okay, there's the tribulation and there's the, you know, the, the, what's going to happen to Jerusalem, but it's like, no, I believe all this is happening, and just to recognize it, it gives us peace. It, it really does speak into our world in a way that helps us understand that the way that we perceive things around us should radically just change the way that we are. So I'm offering that to you tonight. I'm offering to you this evening as we're thinking through all that we've talked about, talked about the, the, the things that are coming, I'm offering you in a way of saying this should be real. It should be motivating, it should be encouraging, it should be challenging, it should be expectancy. And so as we end tonight, I simply want to ask you, so where are you on this? You know, where are you in the sense of all that we've talked about? I mean, is it, are, you know, in the, are you in the place that honestly you recognize we really are closer than we've ever been? And, and, and that really does motivate you. I mean, it's meant to motivate you. It's meant to help you on a daily basis of just living in light of the kingdom of God, living in light of heaven, living in light of what's coming, that you could look at this world and say, I see this, this is temporary, not always going to be this way, and I believe it. If that's you, then just longing to only increase that and, and to cause it to be something that's not just something you believe, 
but it's something that affects the way that you live. But here's the deal. Some of you aren't ready. I mean, you're not ready. Maybe you don't know Jesus. Maybe this is that moment. It's certainly one of the reasons we're still here. It's one of the reasons we're still waiting. It's because Jesus is still saving people. And maybe right now, the reason we're still here is for people like you that would say, okay, this is still time for you to give your life to Jesus. That's, he is coming back, but it's going to be horrible for those who don't know Jesus. Like, you don't want that to be the world you live in, and so maybe this is that moment for you to recognize you need him. It's a great day to surrender. Or maybe you're his, but honestly, if Jesus came back now, the very first words out of your mouth would have to be, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I didn't live, I mean, I've wasted it. I haven't been doing well. I'm not doing what I ought to be doing. And I just want to tell you, then then this is a moment to simply change that. That, Not that any of us can be perfect, but there should be a sense that you, you long. It's like, I want to hear Jesus say, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. You, you've been living for me. You've been walking with me. You, you know, you've lived for this moment. I mean, that's how you want to be welcomed. You want to be like Stephen where Jesus is welcoming him into heaven. You, you want to live in an expectation of that day in a way that would change your life. And so today's a good day to kind of say, that's not where I am right now, but I sure want to get that way. It's a good day to say, okay, Lord, let's, let's begin living in light of your coming. Let's begin watching and praying. And then watch that change your life. Where if you would watch and you would pray and say, God, I, I need your help because I don't want to be found that way. I want to be found. I love the way Jesus said it. I'll just read it again in verse 36. Watch, therefore, and pray always. Like this isn't a one-time prayer. This is a prayer that you should be praying all the time. That you could be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Like you should always, like Lord, I want to be, I, I'm living for that day. And may it be in you and I, and may it be something that he strengthens you in right now. So let's ask him for that. Let's take a moment and just ask that he would draw us to that reality, that he would just cause us to be those who are drawn to this, and then we'll close together in worship. Jesus, I thank you that the things that we've talked about, maybe in small measure and childlike words and understandings that are honestly bigger than my brain. But I do recognize, Jesus, that heaven and earth will pass away. But your words are not going to pass away. What you said is going to happen. It's solid. Nothing, nothing could stop that. You've called us to live in light of what's coming. You've called us to believe, to believe both in who you are in what you're doing. God, you said that your return is going to be a stumbling block to the whole world. God, rescue any in this moment, in this space, online, that that's where they are. That they were, they're going to be those who, if that takes place now, they're, they're going to be left behind and they're not ready. God, would you save them? Would you draw them to you? Would you soften their heart? Would you, would you welcome them and draw them to this? God, then I pray for those who are yours. And they're genuinely yours, but they're wasting their life. Their hearts are weighed down. It's either by sin or the weight of this world, the cares of this life. And they totally are just not living in light of your coming back. And they're not ready to see you face to face. 
God, rescue them. Rescue them from wasting their life. Lord, we just want to pray. We want to pray that you'd rescue us from the brokenness of this world and cause us to stand in that day when we see you face to face, to hear well done, to, to see you and find great joy in that. God, I thank you for some that are just, they're on that road. I mean, they would recognize there's not perfect right now. And, you know, seeing you face to face, there would be part of it that would be like, okay, sorry, Lord, but it's not all of it. There would be also be a place that they were, they're going to hear well done. They're going to hear that, you know, that they, they have seen it. They have lived. They have loved your appearing. God, strengthen that. Strengthen that so that that's just firm. Cause us to always be praying in light, living in light of your return, living in light of you coming back. And let that change us, Lord. Let us change who we are and how we, how we live. God, we ask for that and ask for your work in that as we trust you and thank you for all that you're doing. So we leave it with you now. In Jesus' name, amen.